drive, touchdown, Arkansas State. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Amir, coast to coast, lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled. Welcome to the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you once again to the Second to None podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you and looking forward to another big episode today. We're going to be joined here in just a little bit by the Vice Chancellor of Intercollegiate Athletics at A-State. First time on the podcast for Tom Bowen. And we got a lot of things to talk about. Oh, yeah, there are a lot. We'll try to get to as many subjects as we possibly can with the A-State Athletic Director coming up here in just a little bit. In the meantime, we've got last week to recap and for the men's basketball team it was a tough stretch had to make the Alabama road swing they played Thursday night at Troy then Saturday they were in Mobile against South Alabama we'll start with the game Thursday Mm -hmm. and you know going into this game Troy was in second place A-State right behind him in third a Red Wolves win would put A-State ahead of Troy in the Sunbelt standing so this was a chance to pass the Trojans, and it was a game that A-State led for over 31 minutes. There were six ties, seven lead changes. Red Wolves up six at the half. They're up 10 with nine and a half minutes to go, but Troy ends up winning it 79-77, and you look back at this game, and really the turnovers were the big key. Just five turnovers in the first half committed by the Red Wolves, but 10 in the second half, and Troy ends up scoring 20 points off those second half turnovers i uh i told you this well you and i talked friday during my show and and i don't know when you sit through as many games as you and i sit through sometimes you just get a you can get a feel for the way one is flowing or the way it's setting up and and i just even through most of the first half of that game i didn't like it Uh, to be honest with you i just had a feeling what happened was going to happen because a state was playing or let me say a state was out playing Troy mm-hmm. and didn't have enough to show for it. Similar to a football team that goes out and just moves the football at will between the twenties can't punch and, it in and in has the to red kick zone. field goals. A state was out playing Troy and didn't have enough to show for it because every time Troy was on the ropes, they'd throw a shot in. And just hang around. And when you do that, when you get a good team at home like that, and you let them stay close enough to make one run at you and beat you, that's essentially what happened. Yeah, they're three-point specialists. Desmond Williams goes six of nine from three in that game, and that was huge. And, you know, credit to Troy. They made big shots when they had to make big shots. And Duke Dean, their freshman, also had a big game. He had 13 points. And hit a couple of big threes yeah. late in that game as well. Norshad O'Meara. I can't. I'm sorry, but I can't. You know, no one shot wins or loses you a game. But when you lose by two, I sure do think about them. One of those dudes hit a runner off the top of the backboard at one point. I mean, not literally the top, but I, I remember going down the left side and throwing this runner up. Yeah, off I, the glass. I remember that, it now. So it was way higher than the square and went in. Norshad O'Meara battled foul trouble, and that would be a theme throughout the weekend. But he still tied a career high with 31 points, 
had 11 rebounds in that game against Troy. And even with everything that happened late and the turnovers in the second half and Troy coming back and, and taking the lead, A-State had a big turnover in the last 30 seconds of the game. They got down four, but still had a chance. And Avery Feltz had an opportunity to win the game with the three as time expired and came up just a little bit short. Yeah, strategically, nobody asked me. You know, I think Troy misplayed the last couple of seconds and put itself in a position to pay a deep, deep price for it. I mean, you got the best shooter on the team, got to look in the air for the win. But to back that up a little bit, you got two seconds to go. And you got a guy who I think statistically was not a very good free throw shooter. And he's at the line with you up by one. And the team you're ahead of has no timeouts. And he misses the first free throw. Why he made the second one is beyond me because it gave a state a chance, chance to inbound to inbounds. The baseball pass was deflected out of bounds. So a state got to inbound side out with 1.7 seconds still remaining on the clock. And that gave Avery the look on the wing. But again, just didn't go down and a state ends up falling by two 79, 77. The team traveled to mobile on Friday and then Saturday, we're playing at South Alabama, a JAG team that is as talented as anybody in the league, and they're very good at home. They were 11-1 and on their home floor going into Saturday. This was still a game that if the Red Wolves are healthy, they've got a good chance to win, and you felt good about it going in Saturday until I sat down with Coach Bellato and he told me the injury situation. Now, Keon Wesley... Tried to go as much as he could on Thursday. He had started the game, although he had suffered back spasms Wednesday on that seven-hour bus ride from Jonesboro to Troy. Limited in that game Thursday. Keon was not available Saturday. And then Desi Sills had gone down on a flagrant foul. He went down and, and bruised a bone in his lower back on that flagrant foul. And he wasn't available Saturday either so you're without two of your starters right off the bat and then Caleb Fields looked to have turned an ankle late in the first half Saturday against South Alabama so there's a third starter Caleb did not return and really at that point on the road against a good team your backs are really up against a wall and and then Norshad's in foul trouble since to me you're but you mean you more or less played that game without four starters How did you think it was going to go? Like you don't even have to recap this game. How how's it going to when you're on the road playing a good team and you're essentially without four starters? How well is that going to turn out? Norshad had to sit the final ten minutes of the first half after picking up his second foul early on, and then cold shooting all night. Just nothing seemed to go down. It wasn't a matter of taking bad shots. They just were not going down. And the Red Wolves shot thirty three percent. On the night, South Alabama wins it 70-51. to 51. Despite everything that was going wrong, the Red Wolves actually outscored South Alabama yeah. in the second half of that game. But Norshad finishes with just nine points, nine rebounds in 22 minutes. Antoine Jackson, I thought, played well. Nine points, five boards for him. And then I uh, thought maybe the biggest bright spot to come out of this game was the play of Mario Fantina, the Croatian who hadn't played since the Georgia Southern game back on New Year's Day. He comes in and plays 14 and a half minutes. He was two of three from three-point range and, and finished with eight points. 
to me, grab the Sun Belt scores from any night or whatever. And if you see anybody in this league win by 19 or 20, you can either assume some team had a really good night or some team had a really bad one. Because to me, there's no team in this league 20 points better than anybody else in this league. Top to bottom, there's not, there's nobody in this league 20 points better than somebody else. I agree with that, and I also still like the Red Wolves if they meet either Troy or South Alabama again coming up in Pensacola in a couple of weeks. That is, if A-State is at full strength, and hopefully those guys, Desi and Keon and Caleb, are all good to go this week as the Red Wolves travel to Texas. We'll preview that road swing coming up here in just a little bit. The Red Wolves, though, 15-8 and eight now. Overall, 6-5 and five in Sunbelt Conference play in fifth place with four games to go in the regular season. Important to get in that top four so you can get that first round by in the Sunbelt Conference tournament. Mm-hmm. The Ace Day women, meanwhile, were coming off a win Monday at ULM. They didn't play Thursday this past week. And then they traveled to Little Rock, the final game at the Jack Stevens Center for the Red Wolves. And you said last week you're in favor of them not ever going back. Yeah. Because they still have never won in that building. Yeah, I would just say, yeah, we ain't ever and we ain't ever going to because we ain't coming back. And I'm all for keeping the series with Little Rock going. As long as uh, it's in. As long as, yeah, anytime they want to come to Jonesboro, just come right on up. Or until Joe Foley retires. Which, by the way, I've heard some rumblings could be sooner than later. Yeah, he's been there a long time, and he's done a phenomenal job. I mean, I'm going to tell you this, and it, uh, this was almost a rant, but it's not really one. And I want to be able to, because I know they're coming to Jonesboro Saturday. So I want to be sure that everybody understands what's being said here is being said out of respect. I always get uh, cracked up by the high school coaches I deal with. If, if I'm talking to a high school coach that has a really, really good player, and then they run across a team that plays them close, maybe even beats them because that team went boxing one, triangling two, something to specifically try to slow down that great player. Coaches always describe that as a junk defense. Now, a lot of people just call that strategy. But <laughs> but coaches have ways, oh, they played a junk defense against us. And I hear that all, and it, I love it. So uh, along those lines, I will say, this, this Little Rock team that just wants to drag you into the mud and dirty up a game, you know, Arkansas State's lost a couple of games this year that were really, really fun to watch. You saw one at Oklahoma. You know, I, I think UTA or somebody here, they, I mean, they scored some game. They played some games that even when they lost, you're like, man, that was a fun game. You never say that after a Little Rock game. Never You've do. never watched a fun Little Rock women's game. And that's exactly the way Joe Foley <laughs> wants it. He's won a whole lot of games because of that. Listen, I, this is one I'd almost fight you over. Not really. But I, I, I stand behind this statement firmly. I know Chris Beard came in there and won 30 games in the game in the NCAA tournament, this, that, and the other. And I know that I don't really know the full history of their pro, their department. But to me, the best hire in the history of Little Rock Athletics was getting Joe Foley. It's hard to argue with that. Little Rock able to defeat the Red Wolves this past Saturday, 64-55. We talked about the men being shorthanded. The women were shorthanded as well. Of course, Kia Patton's been out the last several weeks. She's out for the season with her ACL. But 
They were down to just seven players Saturday after Trinity Jackson had to leave early with a shoulder injury. So we haven't talked about it here. So just in case you're following this team, you hadn't really heard. Over the last couple of weeks, Talia rolled in. She basically retired, right? She asked the coaching staff for kind of just a couple of days to step away. And when she came back from those couple of days to step away, her decision was, I'm just, I'm done playing basketball. And so she was gone. Now, you know, Carolina Shedloska, a kid who who wasn't playing a whole lot, but gave him another body and was playing some. Now she's gone because she's, I think maybe is going into portal. I heard once upon a time she might even leave. And again, she might be done too, but she's entered the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. So those are kids that are just, they're not even there. So you're down to, I mean, it was eight. And then Trinity Jackson gets hurt. And by the way, to back to the first thing we said, as physical as Little Rock is, the last player you could afford to not have out there against them is Trinity Jackson. Yeah, especially when the team shoots 29%. It's hard to win on the road. Now, A-State did stay in the game by forcing 18 turnovers, but they fall short 64-55, and the women now 11-13 and overall, 4-7. and in Sunbelt Conference play. We're going to be joined by Tom Bowen when we come back here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here refinished the floors here twice? Sized up your daughter's boyfriends here? Waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave? This place has given you all you've dreamed of and now it's giving again in the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. And we welcome you back in to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you and pleased to be joined now by our friend and the vice chancellor of intercollegiate athletics at A-State. His first appearance on the podcast Tom Bowen. How you doing, Tom? Good, Matt. Great to see you, Brad. You too. Really good to be here. Thank you. We've got a lot to hit on as far as topics going on with A-State, but I want to start here, and I I don't know, and I know you and I sat down and we talked about this when you first got here, but I think it's just such an interesting story how you've kind of wound up in athletics. You actually went to Notre Dame back in the early 80s. You graduated in 83. And while you were there, you were majoring in theology and sociology, and you spent time studying for the priesthood. Is that right? Right. My my entire time at Notre Dame, I was in the seminary and uh, studying to be a member of the Holy Cross Fathers and, and then continued my studies after I graduated and went to several different uh, vocation placements and then um, finally wound up in Colorado Springs uh, working in a hospital and also volunteering at a high school. And when I decided to step away from my vocation as far as religious life and become a layman in the Catholic church. Catholic high school I was volunteering at offered me a job to teach Old Testament, five classes to freshmen, and then offered me a chance to be assistant football coach and assistant baseball coach. Began my career June of 1985 uh, in athletics. I was there one season as assistant football coach. The head coach then moved on. They made me the head football coach there. And then Baseball coach left. They made me the head baseball coach. And so I was head football and baseball coach and teaching Old Testament and found this tremendous vocation. And so began my career in athletics and 
you know, went from there and then wound up at De La Salle High School a year and a half later, coaching and teaching there, and then became the athletic director in 87 at the most premier Catholic high school in the country at the time. Bob Ladisher was a coach, and at that time he'd won 44 games in a row, and the world just began to come together, and I was 26 years old, and I was an athletic director at a major all-boys Catholic high school in the top school in the Bay Area, and my career kind of built from there, and then wound up at St. Mary's College, and you know, it's kind of just kept having opportunities. And then uh, John Castro was the AD at Cal Berkeley, and met me and offered me a job to come work at Cal. I became the associate AD at Cal, and then I got offered a chance to go work for the 49ers, and I spent three years in the NFL. And Bill Walsh got hired to hire the AD at San Jose State, where he was an alum, and Dick Vermeil was an alum, and Uber off, and these guys were all in this kind of this uh, AD search, and so I decided it might be a good thing, and. Go back and be an athletic director in Division One, and you know try that. And so I, I did, and then I got to hire Dick Tomey as my football coach, and the world became different. And so I've been in <laughs> Division One AD ever since. And Quite a ride. Just kind of just kept moving forward, and you know, 2012, Memphis did a national search, and I got pulled to D- Dallas for an interview at the airport, and met a bunch of tremendous people. A guy named Alan Graff, who was that time was a number two CFO at, <clears throat> at FedEx, and a wonderful man, and. Offered me a chance to come be the athletic director of Memphis and build football, come in with Fuente and and do what I do, which is wherever I've been, I've been kind of in football, building football, been a part of football throughout my career. And so it was just an opportunity to continue that. And then another opportunity out of nowhere. I got asked about Arkansas State, and I was very, very blessed and honored to have this opportunity. Yeah, so, I mean, it's your third stop as an athletic director, San Jose State, Memphis, yep. now here at Arkansas State. What made this job so appealing to you? Well, I think, you know, going back on it, I was thinking now that I've been in the chair now almost 11 months, um, Terry Mahajer and I are very close. We all we both started at the same time. I started at University of Memphis in 2012. He started at Arkansas State, his alma mater in 12. I just loved hanging out with the guy. He had nothing but energy and vision, and he was, we were trying to build facilities in Memphis, and he was building facilities, and it was kind of like we had this <laughs> like this contest of who could build the better facilities, and we started doing that, <laughs> then we started using the same architect, and and I mean, his family and my, our families, you know, kind of just got together and I really admired him. I admired what he had done. You know, he had gone through a, a series of coaching changes. I'd hired Hugh Freeze at San Jose State. When I'd hired Mike McIntyre, we hired Hugh. He was there six weeks and then he was he came to Arkansas State. Yep. So we have a lot of connections and I just followed the Red Wolves. I followed the program, mostly followed, you know, because I would come up here and see the amazing progress in what was being done to create the facilities at a group of five program that that could then become extraordinary. The, the issues that challenge us in the group of five or the non-autonomy schools is that you have capital needs and, and, and programmatic needs simultaneously. You need to spend millions and millions of dollars in new facilities or upgrades or what have you. You also need to raise millions and millions of dollars to run your programs at the highest level, to compete for championships and have postseason play across the board. And what happens is this dynamic is that it ebb and flows. So some some months you're focused on capital up, upgrade and you move your capital. And then that donor base becomes your capital donor base. And then, But now you can't pull them back into your annual programming base. So now you're out looking for new and, and exciting supporters to come in there. And that takes time. And so the, the thing that was most appealing coming here is that baseball had to be addressed. And it will be. And it's going to be. And some other small facility changes and upgrades and some some renovations and some stuff to be done down by the track and by the soccer fields and have you. But the but the monolith, which is always your stadium, your football operations, your weight rooms, your training rooms, the mono, the, the big, big piece of rock, it had already been built in, in a spectacular form. These are some of the finest facilities I've ever seen in any of the group of five yeah. schools I've been in. And some of the power fives I've seen don't have what we have. So 
I was very excited. I, I knew Butch very well. I liked Butch. Never had a chance to work with him, but I liked him and, and uh, thought, wow, well, you know, got the, got the right head coach to start it, got the right facilities to recruit to it. And you saw the, the, the result of that after a full cycle of recruiting for this staff. Yeah, number one finish, recruiting to class. To finish with two wins and to have the number one recruiting class in the Sun Belt speak volumes of how good this is going to become over a period of time. So the, the secret to our, to our industry in fixing football is twofold. It's medicine, which we have done an amazing job. It's facilities. It's scheduling and it's recruitment. And you're seeing this start to come together in a way that's going to be phenomenal. So we know you had familiarity, but at the same time, you know, we always we're on the side of it where we know that the powers that be are out vetting candidates sure. when a job's open. Sure. A D job in this case. Yeah. We don't really ever think about the fact that, you know, the A D candidates vet in school too. So when you're doing your due diligence to see mm-hmm. do I really want this job, what are you looking at? Well, first and foremost is the is the leadership at the university. Uh, Kelly Danfus is the finest, finest chancellor president I've ever worked for in my career. He is my ninth president and chancellor that I've had the opportunity to serve. His vision, his his acumen, uh, his experience, his educational kind of blending of educational and athletic priorities and the way he does keep everybody as a family moving forward on the same vision is extraordinary. He's very involved with us. At the same time, he's very much asking me to lead and letting me work together with him on a vision and what we're trying to do in athletics. So for me, it was first point was, was to, to know who would be in charge of the university and what was his mm-hmm. tenure and, and how long would he be here. And then the second piece was looking at the staff and coaching staff. I had met Jerry a couple times. I didn't work for, for Terry when I was running Bellwether, when I was running it kind of between Germantown and Alamo, California, Bay, Bay Area and back. And so Jerry and I met. We did a project for Terry. Um, I liked Jerry. I thought Jerry was pretty sharp, and we had a pretty good thing going on. Mm. Um, and I worked did some good work for Terry, and I got to meet some other people. And I liked the staff. I mean, I, I really liked what was going on. I, I thought, you know, that it, it would be a really, given where it was, given where it was going, it would be really good to catch that train. That it wasn't stopped at a station. There are programs, there are athletic programs in Division One that are stopped at a station. Trying to reload, trying to rebuild, trying to trying to fix the engine, trying to get it going. This program was moving in, in, in a very good, strong direction. And then, as I became more involved in the candidacy, I looked at Jim Patchell, Mike Hagan, MJ. I looked at what was going on. I knew Bellotto. I'd met him a couple times. I'd met Matt Daniels before. I'd, I just had met a lot of coaches and thought, good coaching staff. Things are going in the right direction. So, I felt like it was a chance to put my name in and see what see where they thought I could help them build the programmatic side of it because that's really one of my specialties is building revenue streams, budget streams, creating efficiencies, getting very, very lean and very effective and very good and hiring really good talent. You've had a couple of big events recently, the Night of the North, also Uh the Grand Slam Banquet, where you have talked about one of the things that you already mentioned briefly, and that is the baseball renovations. And the much-needed renovations at Tomlinson Stadium is something that I know has been really high on your priority list. So what can you tell us about what's coming for A-State baseball? Truth be told, it's it's a project that's that's probably been in process for a very long time. There's probably been eight or nine different versions of a, a new stadium, a better stadium, a different stadium, a stadium here, a stadium there. And there's been a lot of effort put in to put it together. Immediately, what we've done is come in and, and, and addressed, you know, the positives of the current facility we have and how to expand that and build upon it. So it's really a, a massive upgrade in the current 
structured stadium spot that it is in right now. It's a wonderful place to have a baseball stadium right off Redwood Boulevard to 22, 3,000 cars a day driving by. Lights come on. People know we're playing. There's a lot of excitement. It's just a matter of making that facility very, very, very good. And I think you'll see those in the renderings and some of the stuff that will come out tonight. It's a serious first step, and uh, we, I believe, it's just a matter of time now to put it all together and, and, and begin. So it, it is a priority, um, as is, you know, the, the dynamics that the university and I are working in collaboration to build a softball program. So both these programs are started simultaneously. University, obviously, is working with its club program in softball to help facilities improve there and therefore then be eligible to come NCAA did one. And then I'm working simultaneously to get this baseball program facilities up to, to a very high level to make us very, very competitive in recruiting and have a chance to really, really get it going. So uh, people who, who may have seen the, the first wave of drawings at Night of the North, as yeah. you said, then some came out at Grand Slam. Number one question, far sure. and away, is is there a timeline on this project? Well, sure. There's always a timeline on this project. The timeline on this project is to, is to officially, as you know, Night of the North, we officially announced it. We've built together kind of a fundraising acumen. We have a pretty good idea of what we need. But again, we got to get some more variants. We've gotten certain approvals approved already by the chancellor to continue to move forward. You got to get biddable renderings. Next step, so you can get an actual contractors to come in and put in, put together, and, and fund this, and then raise the money and, and build it. So, like anything I've ever done, every university I've been at, you can look at what I built at Memphis. You can look at what I've built everywhere I've been. When I tell you it's going to be built, it will be built, and it will be extraordinary. It's just going to be one of those dynamics that you're just going to have to trust me on this and understand that. And I get there's a little PTSD because it hasn't been talked about or hasn't been fixed or it has been talked about and not fixed. <clears throat> but when I came to Memphis, I said we would build a brand-new football indoor facility and football facilities and a state-of-the-art basketball museum and state-of-the-art basketball facilities, which we did. And our timelines were started a year into my, in my, into my tenure. We started it, and we had it done in, two, in, a, in a year and a half later, two years later. So – Looking at my timelines, if you look at my history, so looking at my stats, that's kind of where my stats are leading. <laughs> and look, you mentioned you mentioned softball too, and Kelly Danfus came from Oklahoma, where softball is a really, really big really deal, big. and it's been certainly one of the things that he's talked about most since he's been at Arkansas State. College softball is bigger than ever, and the Sun Belt's a very good yeah. league. It seems to be something that looks more possible than ever before now. I, I believe Chancellor Danfus has put together a really good internal team, leadership team, to work on it. We've met several times. There's renderings, there's drawings, there's movement, there's communication. Now it's up to the university to, to continue, and they'll collaborate with us because they want to make sure they do it right so it can be seamless from club to Division One. So I think things are in motion in a very good way that way, but I can't, you know, I'm, I'm going to sit here and tell you exactly their timeline. I don't, I yeah. don't know that yet. Yeah, and there have been some really cool things that have happened on your watch now as far as just improvements. Uh, the, the floor looks amazing out at First National Bank Arena, the good. the new floor. Thank you. Uh, I haven't heard one. That, that's what I say. I mean, that's the, as nice you, as you any floor you'll probably ought see. to just... Uh, <laughs> You probably just ought to retire on the floor because it's the only thing in the, in the I've ever seen that I've, I've yet to see a complaint about. And I don't mean in athletics. I mean, you should just retire from everything because everybody loves that floor. Yeah, I'm really I'm actually proud about the digital the digital tables too to be able to actually run those yeah. digital tables yep. now. So it looks a seamless piece of this. More improvements will happen in interiorly in the coming next six months inside. 
with some more, you know, vibrancy, banners, some ex- some excitement, some some graphics, and some things that we want to do to promote that. And then, you know, we're kind of moving now towards the academic facility that we're building, uh, where the old weight room is, which will hopefully be online sometime in late April or May, and we'll make a big deal about it. But we're going to have then we'll have the largest academic facility for student athletes in any Group of Five school in the country, and it'll it'll be encased almost 10,000 square feet of academic support, computer support, individual rooms, tutoring, smart TVs, state-of-the-art technology, software, allowing our student-athletes to then really excel in the academic side of the thing, helps us with any of the, any of the other opportunities they want to do entrepreneurially or, you know, what they want to do as far as social media and other things like that, too. So we feel very strong about that, and it's gone very well. We've talked about facilities. We've talked about baseball, softball. We mentioned football earlier. Sure. We're in the middle of basketball season right now and winding down toward the end of the regular season. It's been an exciting season for the men to this point, and everybody kind of knows the situation with with Coach Bellato's contract. This is the final year of the contract. Sure. What is your timeline as far as Coach Bellato and Well, and I, I appreciate the uh, the absolute timeline question, but as you, you should know, <laughs> and I are learning to work with each other, and here's, here's what I'm going to say to you, and this will probably give everybody, if you can read between the lines. Never, I didn't hire Coach Bellato, but I knew him, and I like Mike very much. And Mike represents a lot of great characteristics that I really am proud of, the way he runs his program, demands academic success, engages with the community, is very good and very prepped, has a good staff and does the right things, says the right things. I think we're having an extraordinary season, and I think everything's going in a very good direction for a strong future for all of us. So we are in that process to build that future. And if you can read between the lines, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. So I would have asked or, or asked in generic terms because I really, I mean, you're not, you can't or not answer a specific sure. question. Of course not. But just to, in your line of work, when you come in, because this wasn't even the only one, but when you come in and you walk in the door and there are coaches' contract situations that need sure. addressed the day you get there. Right. What's the process versus where are you looking at where the program is right then versus the, the totality of the coach's time? Well, I think what's really important is, um, so it's happened everywhere I've been and, and some more than others. This was not an unusual number of coaches that were in halfway to their contract or end of their contract. You, you come in and you evaluate. First of all, you, you talk to the former athletic director. You get their background, why they made the hire, how the hire happened, where, where they were with the program. And then you'd spend a great deal of time doing individual homework on the program, on the time, on the on the wins, the losses, the student-athletes' feedback, the, the senior exit interviews, the uh, number of assistant coaches, the, the the kind of the medical dynamic involved in here. For example, you, you can you can immediately come at people and, and get upset at a coach for his record, but if his five or six best players are hurt, it's really hard to kind of say, well, you know, this is, this is his fault in the sense that, you know, this happened this way and this didn't happen that way. So what I do is spend a great deal of time studying the program. At the same time, I spend a lot of time talking and listening to the coach and getting a good sense of things and getting a sense of where things are going to be, asking about, you know, vision, future, you know, recruitment, re- retention. Right now with the portal and then and all the dynamics are going on right now, a head coaching hire has never been more critically to understand the, 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 the team dynamics. What is the culture like in the team? What is the temperature in the team? You know, I spend a lot of time you know, sneaking in and out of practice and then coming, watching what's going on, talking to kids, 
talking to student athletes, asking about their experience. Hey, how's it going? How are we doing? Everything going? And just really getting a sense of the culture that's in play because right now you make moves on head coaches. You, you understand that if that coach is beloved and, and dearly loved by the players that are there, they're leaving with him. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be abandoned with a dynamic where you don't only lose all of your current roster or third of your roster, you lose a head coach. You're now bringing a new person in and you're, and you're creating expectations on them to be successful immediately. And if they're coming into a successful program, you run the risk of having the thing go completely on the other side. Yeah, so, right now, every coach in hire can, could be a rebuild no matter what. Correct. That's exactly right. And so you need to see it that way. And by looking at it that way, you, you, need, to, you need to value the work that's done with the student-athletes and the student-athletes' temperature of how they feel about where they're at. It's important that student-athletes at Arkansas State understand that we care about them, that this is their place, that we are part of their family, and that they are part of ours. And we do that by the way we do the little things, the little things that we provide, the little things that we make sure take place, the way they travel, the way their gear, the way their uniforms, the way we do the little things, the way we market, support. Those right now are the most important things happening in college athletics. In Division One. if you want to keep a team together and not have to go through a massive recycling dynamic if you get a coaching change. And of course, we mentioned Coach Bellato, but yeah. that's just one yeah. Yeah. team that you're trying to you know, gauge. You, you want to know inside and out everything that's going on with that program, right. but you also have permanent hires to make with women's basketball and with volleyball. Well, the volleyball search has already begun, and we're now in the, in the stages of the initial interviews or Zoom. That'll probably happen in the, this week. You know, we've got three members of the volleyball program. Three young women are on our committee with our committee. Um, we'll put it into a, into a real get through the Zoom process of the six that we have. And we have four females, two males. We have three former head coaches in Division One, And then we'll come down to a kind of an on-campus dynamic. And we'll move very quickly because the program, there's a lot of anxious young female student athletes who are wondering, what are we doing? We meet with them constantly. We've met with them and, and really got a sense of what they're looking for and what we're trying to do with the program, the most celebrated program in NCAA postseason appearances of our arena programs. And so to me, it needs to kind of see that as its vision. The vision is to go back and be very good. And volleyball in in, in, in Northeast Arkansas, in, in Jonesboro, in Paragold, in this area is Really strong. big deal. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be big again at our university. So that's a priority. So that's in process. <clears throat> Head women's basketball coach, the interim Coach Rogers has done everything we've asked her to do. She's had success. The kids are young female, not kids. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm that, they're so, kids. I get it. Yeah, so <laughs> the young female student athletes are responding. They're engaged. Their academics have improved immensely. Their attitude, their fight, their effort. They're there. They're excited. They get up every day and want to play basketball for us. And for those m- moments, it's real important to understand how important it is to keep this team moving forward. We're in future conversations with her as well. So, so those are things that are that I can answer without really getting into details. Yeah. And and, I, and I'm very I'm very pleased with both coaches and what they've been able to do this season with their <clears throat> with their team, both on the court, off the court, in the community, and in the classroom. I'm interested because you've already talked about your last answer talking about getting the input of the student athletes, which is really interesting in the women's basketball case because you know they they've they've played for coach Rogers in a couple different roles as being the, you know, yes. the, the top assistant and now the head coach. And so, I mean, I, I could see being really interested in their, in their input on, on what they thought about her being the, the, the permanent hire. That's the way it went. It has been very, very positive. And they are very, you know, they, they, they liked 
Coach Daniels, they, they were recruited by Coach Daniels and the staff, and they, they have no ill will about the former head coach. They're all very, very positive about their current experience. And so we take it, we take that forward and keep making sure that we provide all the necessary support that we need to do for women's basketball in these last three weeks, which are going to be a grind. And we're hoping that we get in the postseason tournament. They have a chance to get healthy. Losing Kia Patton was a was a really yeah kind of a momentum you know kind of break that happened. It it, it really did hurt their momentum because they were playing very very well. And she went down with the ACL, was out the rest of the season. And so now, and we have some other injuries as you know mm-hmm. from this last weekend. So we're kind of hoping that we can get healthy. You know, it's one of the things about our industry that injuries are you know everybody medicine is critical. You've got to have great medicine to keep your teams on especially at our level, because we don't have the ability to recruit a 1,000 five-star players. So, anyway, I don't know if that answers that question or not. But Yeah. <laughs> In the meantime, there are a lot of good things happening. You've mentioned a lot of them with the improvements that, that are coming for the facilities and obviously a, a lot of exciting things ahead. But I know you're also proud of the, the staff you've assembled and some of the initiatives that uh, you guys have put together. I'm, I'm, I'm very honored and blessed that I was able to convince young men and young women and a very dear friend of mine who's been around a very long time to come join us. Thomas Bay has been an extraordinary addition as our deputy, obviously an athletic director for 22 years, Under Armour AD of the Year, won a national championship in baseball at Fresno State. I mean, he is a rock star. And so we have basically the ability to kind of simultaneously run external and internal and Keep moving everything moving forward. It's been one of the reasons we've been able to have a lot of success early in what we're trying to do in our initiatives. Clearly, the the addition of a CFO that we announced last week, Amy Foster, is one of the leading CFO finance thinking, outside the box, solve your problems administrator in our industry. She's done very, very well. And again, very blessed that she took an opportunity to come be, come join our team as did Wes England from UConn, as did Maddie Stein from Oklahoma, as did, you know, uh, Lydia, who I, who I took out of UT San Antonio, and really have, have kind of built around that another level of people have come, and they continue to come. And I feel like the initiatives are, are kind of the simultaneous movement of us coming together and saying, okay, <clears throat> Terry Mahajer had an extraordinary vision, and, and Terry was able to create the, the, the vision for what was needed and what had to be built and what had to be put together and then what we're coming in behind it is we're building all the programmatic structure that comes into a fantastic place, a fantastic facilities, fantastic, you know, operational dynamics that then mirror what, what has been done. And that's really and true what when I've talked to Terry, I've told him that. And I think that's what if Terry was here, he'd tell you that's kind of where my wheelhouse comes in. You you mentioned your latest edition was a, a, is a CFO that came out last week. Yeah. I want to kind of go back to coming in and over the course of these first 11 months uh something interesting you talked about was that at some point you know when donors kind of become capital donors that's what they are Mm -hmm. how big a part of your challenge coming in was sort of getting your arms around that not just taking the financial situation kind of at, at face value but getting into it and kind of seeing how much of that's capital money and really coming out of uh, that and dealing with the pandemic and, and shortcomings there, what, getting your arms up, what our real financial status is. Well, it was uh, it was it was critical that it was done quickly. I spent the first six or seven weeks just going through all the old information regarding the 2019, the 2020, 2021 operational dynamics, the budgets, and then looking at the capital campaign for the tower and the Johnny Allison Tower, and then the Northeast End Zone, and 
in, in the locker room. And, and so basically merging all of that together and kind of synthesizing that into to understanding that we have asked the community, we have asked our supporters to make extraordinary support. They've done incredible support philanthropically for Arkansas State Athletics. There have been some amazing gifts and, and some amazing league gifts, Mr. Allison being one along with Mr. Woodard and a myriad of other human beings, mm-hmm. male and female, who have come on and just given you know generously. So, so the dynamic here now is to is to build the programmatic piece. It's not quite as bricks and mortar attractive, but it's got its same kind of profound effects. So, for me, it's been re it's recasing and recalibrating, and being very aware and mindful of people's past commitments, present pledges that need to be paid, and not going back to the same people all the time saying, "Hey, we need you to help us again. Need you to help us again." We're wonderfully excited when they do, but it's our it's our job to grow this donor base. In a in, instead of a vertical triad, it's a it's a horizontal triad, and so you're seeing us go out and find more and more Arkansas State fans, more and more people that support Arkansas State who haven't been contacted, who weren't part of the initial push in this, and we're having a lot of success in that. Also, building new corporate partnerships and working with the current corporate partnerships we have, and simultaneously going in and before we got the CFO hired, it was me going in and rebuilding this entire budget and basically spending half the day. <laughs> I spent half the morning being the CFO and then I'm the AD. And then I'm, you know, I mean, so it, I, I was the guy most excited about getting Amy hired was me because it, it was, I, mean, I might get my, my normal life back, but because I'll spend mornings going through the finances for an hour and a half every day to, to keep things efficiently moving. Our industry is a fascinating industry. There is no, there is no governors and costs. There is no, there is no, shall we say, market balance on what it's going to cost you to, fly your team or feed your team or put them in a bus or buy a helmet or buy or buy soccer unis or, or deal with your fixed costs in college athletics move every year. And they move between 4 and 7% at every piece of the budget line every year. So if you have a flat budget that hasn't moved in nine years, you're looking at about 36% of the dynamic in cost isn't reflected in the cost. So now it comes down to how do you rebuild that? So the first thing we've done is we've, we've consolidated how we do travel. How we how we go to in, into a we, we're working with a broker to go and get a get a multi hotel deal done so that every program that plays in the Sunbelt team stays in the same hotel, and therefore then we break her down and get a better rate, which then the event comes back. They pretty much do that anyway, so it, it makes sense to, <laughs> yeah, to get put it, together yeah, a deal. Yeah. But so what you do now is you cut it in the front end and say this is what we'll pay. Yeah, we'll pay this for every program we put in there, and then this is the savings. We, we we take the flatline budget and we we then we have a gap in this budget. Then we disperse into recruiting. The biggest challenge I have right now is to provide these coaches with enough recruiting financial stability to go out and really take the local, regional, sub uh, super regional, you know, western national approach. So as as Coach Patchell continues to be very very successful, he has the ability to recruit nationally. The kids come run at Arkansas State. We need to provide him the ability to do that. Mike Hagan has the ability to recruit nationally and internationally. You've got to be able mm-hmm. to provide him the ability to do that. Justin Kosick, who's building a, a, a bowling program that could be extraordinary, has to be able to recruit nationally because he's, he's, he's playing at a really high level, right? So those are things you come in and financially want to build to make sure they've got enough to recruit, enough to make sure they can touch every possible person, male or female, great young men and women that could be Red Wolves and come here and keep building our tradition. Once you start a championship program in motion, your greatest danger is that you don't understand how to keep it funded. 
It isn't the, it isn't the coach that's a part of it. He's the he's the bellwether. He's the piece that's front of it. And if you can't put the financial backing behind him, it will fail. It will stall. It will stop. And he will go. So to me, the next big piece of this is to continue to find a way to build capital project behind women's basketball, men's basketball, volleyball, football. Football doesn't have a war chest. Football has the finest facilities in the conference, but we're struggling to keep things moving forward in football because we don't have a war chest. We don't have, so that's my job. My job is to go out and build the programmatic pieces that keeps coaches' trajectory moving, keeps recruitment moving. Because at the end of the day, if we lose the ability to bring greater and greater student athletes into our industry in athletics, you will stall your programs. We've covered a lot of topics, but I'll get you out of here with this. At least this is my <laughs> final question. And I know Terry was able to, to help you out a lot as far as he kind did. of letting you does. know. He still does. Yeah, and we would expect that, yeah. just knowing we're, him. We're, but, and we're good friends, and I talk to him all the time. But – he was able to kind of give you the landscape a little bit. But in 11 months here, what's the biggest thing that you've learned about Arkansas State? I think, I think the thing I've learned the most, that I've found the most exciting and yet at the same time the most amazing is this community truly is a family-centered community. There is not a lot of secondary agendas. Everywhere I've been, there's always been people have different agendas, people have different issues, everything. Everybody here wants to support the university. They want to support the students. They want to support the student athletes. And they want to be a part of something great. And I, and I think there's such a tradition here. This, this institution has had such success. And, and as we continue to move up this ladder in Division I, as we continue to get very, very more and more competent, and there's this whole world out here in Northeast Arkansas that, that we, could, we could embrace as our family. Because I think... In a state where there's there's two Division One programs that play at the FBS level, there's our there's our brothers in Fayetteville, and then our brothers our brothers and sisters in Jonesboro. I think it's wonderful to be a part of that to build that program to create the same kind of synergy that we could create in the coming years. People have been very open minded, very welcoming, and very much ready to see us be great. And for me, that has been just uh, it's been a, a real welcomed, warm feeling. I've had a few people <laughs> explain to me the difference between A, B, and C, and I've had some people tell me they're and, – and yet when we sit down with them and say, okay, well, look, this is why we did this, and this is what we're doing, they're like, great, hey, thanks. I just need to know what's going on. I wasn't sure. I, I don't feel anybody's adversarial. I feel people really want us mm-hmm. to be successful. i got to tell you that, and it's, self, and it's a selfish successful. They're not trying to do it for themselves. They're not trying to help their, their cause. They're trying, they, they feel a part of our cause. I've been a lot of places. I've never seen anything like it. It is a true community here. People care about each other. I mean, my neighbors are knocking on my door in this ice storm asking me if I'm okay. So I'm going to tell you, I've been in many ice storms in Memphis, many, many, you know, earthquakes in California. I remember my neighbors coming out in an ice storm going, hey, man, you all right? You'll be okay? You, you know, I know you're, you're – I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm good. I mean, <laughs> people ask. My, I, I just felt tremendous, genuine kindness and grace from these people here, and it is – this community and I am very honored to be here very honored well it's great to have you here we're glad you're here at Arkansas State and uh, appreciate you coming in and yeah, hanging yeah. out with well, us I appreciate you guys today we covered <laughs> we a lot did. of stuff we did we did and so uh, I think some of this will get even more momentum I, I will tell you though the baseball project after tonight 
which will be the Grand Slam banquet, uh-huh. then it'll be much more visible because it'll get out in a, a much bigger way. And I think people will I think people will be very pleased with what we've done. So I hope so. That's the Vice Chancellor of Intercollegiate Athletics at Arkansas State, Tom Bowen. We've got more to come here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. Your first home is like this dream. The day you walk in, the sun seems to shine more brightly. The ceilings, they just seem taller. And you'll never fix that creaky floorboard because it sounds like comfort. What a hug would sound like if it made a sound. And that's when you realize your home really, really home. Realize your dream with a home loan from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Want to take a look ahead now to a busy week in A-State athletics. And first off, the men will be on the road. They're making the Texas swing, final two games of the regular season. Talked about it earlier with the Red Wolves now in fifth. It's still a log jam at the top of those Sunbelt Conference standings. A lot of positioning can happen in these final four games of the regular season, but so important for A-State to try to finish in the top four and get that first round by in Pensacola. They'll take on first place Texas State coming up Thursday night at 7 in San Marcos. Red Wolves going for the season sweep of the Bobcats. But Texas State playing some really good ball. They've won five in a row. Now eight and three in the league. And then the Red Wolves will wrap up the trip at Texas Arlington Saturday at 2. Before the injuries. You know, this time a week ago in Arkansas State was a whole lot healthier than it is right now. We knew that by far this team had the toughest final three weeks of anybody in the league uh, as far as the contenders go because Little Rock's got the exact same schedule. But in terms of the teams trying to fight at the top, A-State's was the toughest. Uh, Only teams all year long that go two full weekends back-to-back on the road and you're doing it against the Alabama and Texas teams. Then come home and get those Carolina teams. So you knew what was ahead of this team before it started getting beat up. And then it went out and started getting beat up. And, yeah, this is tough. And every game's big. You know, as you and I were talking the other day, I mean, there are obvious reasons a bye is important. But in this Sunbelt Conference tournament, a bye is just one less chance for somebody to beat you because there's no telling what's going to happen when all these teams get to Pensacola. I think the top six teams, any one of them right now, you can make a case for them – winning the Sunbelt I mean, tournament. I mean, one of those Rock six just teams. just went to Troy Saturday and got a win. They did. And Georgia State's starting to play well, which is what everybody expected. They started conference play slow, but by all accounts, they're starting to get things going right now. And nobody's going to want to play Georgia State once we get to the conference tournament well, either. The truth is nobody's going to play anybody, but you got to play somebody. The women, no game again Thursday. They'll play Little Rock again Saturday at 1. This will be the final regular season home game for the Red Wolves. Also the final regular season game with Little Rock as Sunbelt opponents. Yep. Your last game at First National Bank Arena for Morgan Wallace. That right there, if nothing else, is reason to come out because that kid is a phenomenal player. Wasn't just overrun with offers. Arkansas State signed her in the late period, her senior season. And just come in and and just a great player, great kid, fills up a stat sheet, can really just about play any position on the floor and has had a really, really nice career. 
Congrats to the bowling team. Big weekend for them. They played in Dallas in the Lady Texter Classic. It was hosted by Louisiana Tech, even though it was Mm -hmm. played in Dallas, but uh, they beat Louisiana Tech in the finals, end up winning the championship there. Yeah, 4-3. to Full seven-game championship match. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure down 3-2 to and had to win the sixth game, maybe even by a pin to get to the seventh game and win it and win the tournament and then they've got their home event coming up this weekend track and field meanwhile finished the indoor regular season very strong at the music city challenge in nashville cheyenne melvin broke the indoor 800 meter record that was a record that's been held since 1989 and now the sunbelt indoor championships are coming up next that's going to be next week monday and tuesday the 21st and 22nd in birmingham where the men and women will both be looking for their third straight indoor championships. Hopefully keep on keeping on. I mean, I think if the Sunbelt track teams are assembled for any event right now, Arkansas State's going to be the favorite. Hopefully that stays the case. It's a place they're used to competing. They've already gone down even this year, just a couple of weeks ago, I think, and uncompeted in that same facility. So uh, hopefully they'll just uh, keep the line moving. And then uh, finally, baseball season is here. They're going to begin the season on the road. Tommy Raffo's crew taking on a good Samford team that has brought in a whole bunch of transfers. They're actually receiving votes in some of the polls going into the weekend. But uh, A-State at Samford, Friday at 4, Saturday at 2, Sunday at 1. And this means, you know, for us, it's it's a busy time because – We've got broadcasters everywhere. It's a crossover time. We've got basketball and baseball going on. And, you know, in a lot of cases, I'll be able to call baseball games. But in this case, like this weekend, you and Cade Carlton are going to be home calling the basketball games. You for ESPN Plus, Cade for our radio broadcast. And then, you know, I'm going to be in Texas with the men. So our buddy Will Oswalt going to be headed to Birmingham to call the games on the Ticket Radio Network, and we're thankful because we do have such depth as yeah. far as uh, the guys we can turn to. Yeah, this time and, of and, year. and it's needed because you know, in addition to you know everything we do as Arkansas State's broadcast partner, and then you know also kind of expanding that and kind of always you know handling the call for the ESPN Plus broadcast. You know, we have four local high schools just in this building that we handle all the broadcasts for too and yeah. uh you know two of them are in district tournament play this week the other two are coming down the stretch of the regular season so yeah there's a lot and for all the the challenges we have sometimes making sure there's enough broadcasters i'd rather do that than try to make sure there are enough producers and board operators for all the stuff we try to do sometimes <laughs> that's as big of a challenge oh gosh as anything anything you need to get off your chest before we get out of here you know pretty simple if at any point Sunday night into Monday morning, you made a social media post calling the Super Bowl halftime show the worst ever, it's pretty easy. You probably weren't the target audience. And here's the thing. I'd be willing to bet <laughs> most people who made those posts, and there was no doubt there was going to be some of that, right? Zero doubt that when you got on social media, especially Facebook Sunday night, you would see posts like that. And the truth is, nine people out of 10 who made that post could have just scheduled that post the day they saw what the Super Bowl halftime show was going to be. 
Yeah, because they could have. Because it wasn't for them. You know, I think for our age group, we were the target audience. That's right. And you didn't see anybody our age posting that. <laughs> we thought it was the greatest thing ever. But for a lot of age groups, I can see why they probably didn't like it. it they weren't around for that time period and probably didn't appreciate it as they should. Yeah, and they you, should if appreciate you're, it. If you're the lot younger than us or a little bit older, you don't even have to be a lot older. If you're 10 years older than us or 20 years younger, yeah, you probably didn't know a lot what was going on. But for people of our age, you know, early mid 40s and a little bit younger and a little bit older than it was yeah it was in our wheelhouse it's uh, been another fun episode we appreciate tom bowen swinging by and uh, enjoyed our conversation with him enjoy the week a very busy week in a state athletics we'll recap it all next week right here on the second to none podcast presented by simmons bank